You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we cover the last 7 to 10 days in the world of Apple news, reviews, rumours, roundup, gossip, tech and, well, basically, anything else that catches our eye. This is the Essential Apple Podcast. You know that I'm going to open up with saying, I'm back again. <laughs> oh, again, thank you to Simon for covering me yet again last week when I ventured forth and hopped on a plane at pretty much the last minute to take a bit of a holiday. So thank you to everyone and anyone stepping in last week. And yeah, uh, I'm back in blimey. Uh, what a year it's turning into. This week, Hurricane Maria battered the unfortunate Caribbean islanders again. Mexico has been hit by a massive earthquake again, and two loony leaders with weird haircuts traded insults and nuclear threats. And on top of all that, Apple released some stuff. So, yeah, it's not been too bad a week, really, for the terms of news. And joining us this week, as well as Simon, we have Bart Bouchot from the Let's Talk Podcast podcast. Sorry, that probably doesn't make grammatical great sense. Uh, and let's talk.ie to mull over the Apple Watch 3, the iPhone 8, and to stare in aware at amazement and the power of speed of the A11 Bionic chip. How are we doing? How are you doing, Bart? How are things in the Emerald Isle today? Things in the Emerald Isle are just grand on this lovely Sunday afternoon. Excellent. And Simon, what's happening in your, how's your week been this week? Uh, It's been a fairly ordinary week for me, to be honest. Uh, My wife picked up her new iPhone 8, but uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about that. But unsurprisingly, I've not exactly been allowed to have my sticky fingers on it, but there we go. Well, as we're sort of a bit pushed for time this week, well, we might as well just crack straight on with all the Apple stuff. So, Bart, first question to you is, what was your standout moment of the Apple event this year? Uh, Standout moment? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm not sure it had a standout moment, I guess. So the moment, sort of the collection of moments that I particularly sort of clung on to is when they... I had made a decision not to make, not to form a strong opinion on Face ID until I saw Apple's delivery of it, because I was afraid of falling into the trap of Touch ID, where everyone else had done a terrible job of fingerprinting. Therefore, yep. quite a few people had decided that whatever Apple were going to do, it must be. Sh- oh, can I say that? Yeah, you can say. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> So that would be a major part of my Irish vocabulary gone missing if I couldn't. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> oh, believe me, that word has been very common in the last few weeks in my world. The, the assumption had been made, right, that, that Touch ID would be rubbish because everyone else had been rubbish. And then everyone seemed to be clamoring over themselves to say how awful Face ID would be for all the same reasons. And I just said to myself, nope, I'm not going yeah. down that rabbit hole. I am going to have no opinion. I'm not going to assume Apple are going to be brilliant. I'm not going to assume they're going to be idiots. I'm just going to wait and see what they tell me. And I just found myself nodding and actually audibly saying yes out loud a few times during the keynote as they were explaining it. No, no, we thought of this. And, you know, so we spray these points and, you know, it can't be fooled by this. And you have to actually look at the device and think, okay, all right. Okay. So despite everyone's fears, it would appear that Apple have thought this thing through. How it'll work in the real world, we're not going to find out for another couple of weeks. But they at least seem to have thought it through as well as they thought through Touch ID. So I was pleased. 
I, I think so. I, I think I agree with you there, Bart. I was uh, deliberately not pre-judging it. And when I watched the, the keynote, I was fairly impressed that they obviously thought about it long and hard. Uh, subsequently, I heard Craig Frederighi on uh, the talk show. He did a little 20-minute mm. interview with uh, John Gruber. And Excellent they interview. Talked, yes, it was. It was brilliant. And they talked there about a few things like, would sunglasses affect it? And uh, the view was, on the whole, no, unless you have these sort of UV, IR, reflective... Which is kind of cool, altitude. actually, the fact that... Because it's not using visual light, so holding up a photograph will have no effect whatsoever because the no, photograph exactly. doesn't give off much uh, infrared light. Um, and and most no sunglasses day. will transmit enough IR that to the sensor your sunglasses are just glasses which yeah. are fine because they're transmissible you know there were some there were some questions raised obviously weren't there about uh, accessibility what about people who are blind who can't actually look can't do I have your attention look yeah. and uh, Craig said in accessibility obviously it's you can turn it off it can be turned off I believe it turns itself off when you enable the assistive features so basically if you tell the iPhone I need help the iPhone goes okay well you're not you're clearly not in a position to give me you know to look at me so that i can do the gaze detection so it turns that feature off you can't turn it back on so depending on your level of visual impairment because the spectrum of what counts as blind is obviously yes huge this is something i didn't understand you know i used to think that you know blind was a binary thing but it's absolutely not oh no it's not no i i forget the exact definition but i mean if i think if you if your vision is less than about 40% of normal, you qualify as legally blind. So, I mean, yes, you can go. A lot of blind a people long, long can still do the look at the phone thing. And yes. a lot of blind people will, with, with Apple's vast array of um, assistive features, a lot of people who are legally blind can see the iPhone interface with the help of, you know, tools like inverting the screen color and super maximizing all the font sizes and screen zooming and all these various features Apple have. A lot of blind people are very happy visual users of the iPhone, not to mention the people who can do that voiceover thing, um, yeah. which always amazes me. Like If you hear that thing cranked up to the highest speed it can go and you hear someone using their phone it is awe-inspiring it yeah. is amazing isn't it if you've uh, i've i've turned on the voiceover myself <laughs> to just see what it does and it, it's utterly utterly baffling to me how anybody makes any sense of it but yeah, and that's I'm not sure... full speed like the default no, is about oh, halfway no, up the scale yeah no that's that's just sort of like normal pace isn't it but people who are truly blind i know have it cranked up the sort of you know nearly maximum and it, it's almost unintelligible let alone deciphering what the hell it's supposed to mean but it's there, and I'm sure that the people who need it and know how to use it, it is an unbelievably helpful product. So, yeah, um, the Face ID impressed me quite a lot, as you say, and until it's out in the real world, we're not going to be able to know. But I think the thing that I, I mocked the name last week. I, Face I ID? or the, No, the Bionic, the chip, the A11 <laughs> Bionic. You're right to mock the name. It's a dumb name. It's amazing. It's brilliant. We need more names like this. We need more kooky sort. Yes, it's powered by bionicity. Awesome. <laughs> well, we yes, but oh, yeah, so we have maybe the, uh, the maybe uh, a ten to the eleven, and as we can see, uh, it's following a consistent trajectory. Or you know what? It's that better. It's bionically better. Well, this one is bionically better, though, isn't it? This is the whole thing. Since last week, I've been looking, and I've I've linked in the show notes a, a select of articles because it's everywhere but extreme tech have said a11 bionic packs one hell of a wallop 
Tom's guide said the iPhone 8 is the world's fastest phone, not even close. And when we come to that, it, it really isn't close. Uh, there was a good piece from Apple Insider. For those who are a bit less technical, like me, it explains what the different parts of the SoC do and how that has made it such a phenomenal leap forward. And so, no, I'm not mocking the name Bionic anymore because the A11 really is to other chips like uh, Steve Austin was to ordinary people back in the day. So... Trying to work out how to shoehorn that reference in. Um, on the sort of <laughs> side of that, it's amazing that A, Apple have gone, so if you look when they started doing their own chips, about their how fast they've gone, especially like for, if you look at the iPhone, was it the 5S is when they started looking into their own chip design and look how far it's gone. But you do have to feel a little bit sorry for Imagination Technologies who've just literally put themselves up for sale and been bought uh, out. Well, they've been uh, sold, haven't they? That's yeah. one of the one of the things they got sold, and they got sold for effectively five hundred and fifty million. And apparently that was a four. Well, that it's it's not bad going considering apparently that was a forty percent uplift on their actual share value at the end of last week, uh, which I'm assuming is a big down drop on their actual share value at the end of last year. But still, like yes, that's... but apparently they lost seventy percent of their share value pretty much the minute Apple said we're not using you anymore, and their shares fell off a cliff. Didn't it? Don't I remember it coming out in the news the weeks after that that Apple had preemptively informed Imagination over a year yes. in advance that that, that announcement oh, yes. would be coming? Yeah, at first, oh. at first there was a bit of kind of oh, this you know poor old oh. Imagination Technologies. Apple's just like dumped on them from a great height, um, yeah. and then Imagination Technologies said we're suing. This is disgraceful. Yeah. And then Apple went, well, we told you like eighteen months ago, you know, two years ago that it was coming to an end, and we were going to design our own stuff. If you've sat on your fat butt doing nothing in the meantime, that's not our fault. I mean, just having a look here, the so the 52-week high, uh, I don't know what any of this means, but I'm going to guess <laughs> it's the highest point over a year. Their share price was $297. Right. It crashed to 76 and It's hovering around about 140 now, so they've sort of leveled off. That's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, given that they've lost their largest customer and had put themselves up for sale, I guess... That's people who want to buy into the new owner is, is what's putting that share price back up, possibly. Uh, I think that I think just the fact that they've been acquired by this, I don't know, they're a Chinese kind of venture capital. Yeah, I mean, their share price has gone up since the process they've been bought out. But well, yeah, because this... anybody's share, if they've been acquired, Mark, of course their shares are going to go up because they've now got some backing. So they might be worth investing in. But is you know, this, when they're hanging is this in the breeze, then who's going to venture their cash? And it's also they're possibly undervalued now, or at least they were. So, you know, buy low, sell high, et cetera, et cetera. And plus, if, you, if you're buying this company, you've got to be buying it with the, th- with the, with the small thought of, ah, oh, you know what? I wonder how many patents Apple are infringing on and just making <laughs> all the money by suing them that way. I hope not. Well, we could do without another one of those perennial, never-ending zombie stories. There was some talk of that, and a few, uh, quite a lot of the stories on the web end with but they haven't still got in dispute. But the real truth appears to be that after Imagination Technology said, I bet you're infringing on some of our patents and we're going to take you to the cleaners over it, Apple went, 
I don't think we are. And pretty much his. Here's <laughs> our lawyer's phone code, number. See, see you, you know, shortly. His, his, <laughs> no, it's kind of. I think it was very much along the line of you know his access to our code. If you can find something you're we're infringing on, good luck to you. And then it's all gone quiet since. So. But isn't it quite scary? On the other hand, that so imagination technologies have been around for ages and ages and ages, and then Apple literally just come along, start designing their own chips, and just nuke them out of the water. I mean, this is only in the case of five years, a company that was never really in that sort of industry at all. Well, is it five years since they released their first chip or five years since they made the purchase? Because they, they they went very, very silent after when they purchased, was it Silicon something other yeah. name of the... Oh, yes. Silicon Foundry, was it? Or something? The word Silicon was definitely... Basically, they went very quiet for two or three years at least before the A4 came out. And it struck me immediately that the first... Or was it the A3? Basically, the first chip Apple released was not the A1. So clearly they had been doing prototypes and all sorts of stuff in the background. And there was definitely quite a few years of silence between the acquisition and everyone going, ooh, Apple are going to do their own chips. And then nothing happened. And then nothing happened. And then finally the first A chip came out and everyone was like, oh, wow, these are good CPUs. And it's gotten nothing but better since. And I don't think there's been like, it's just been incremental growth and sort of like compound interest. Incremental growth, when it stacks upon itself, really takes off. And what Apple have now yeah, are amazing. I think that very much. And although I think Apple probably started their team by, you know, with an aqua hire, as they like to call it. Uh, yeah. The way that Apple have been developing this, as far as I can see, is the, the way that they develop everything. They've they've created a tight-knit, highly skilled team of top-light silicon designers. And then in the sort of Johnny Ive lock all the designers in the studio until they come out with something brilliant that's what they've done and they're just they're just standing on each other's shoulders time after time and this a11 has basically taken the features of the a10 fusion which was we've got some high performance cores and we've got some low performance cores <laughs> and said how can we expand that totally okay well let's go with two high performance cores and four low performance cores and not just flip flop between them but scale from running one low performance core all the way up to all the cores just basically. right lo- low performance is a terrible way to sell it well yeah high, high efficiency, high efficiency yeah. is probably yeah. better yes they're not ba- low battery friendly seller. but not as fast versus battery hugs that go like bejesus yeah. And by balancing those two out, you yeah. get really good battery life when you have absolutely no need of a screaming performance and screaming performance as soon as you launch that game or fancy pants app. I mean, it's yeah. that is exactly perfect. it. And if you read some of these uh, pieces that I've linked, it is unbelievable. And there, there's a whole host of stuff on this this Bionic SoC. I mean, there's the neural engine, there's the the i the ISP, there's the oh, it's it's unbelievable. It really is, and uh, quoting, I'll quote Tom's guide here. If you're wondering how this translates to real-world performance, we have good news for AI Phone 8 shoppers and bad news for everybody else. To put the Bionic chip through its paces, we put a two-minute video shot in 4K by a drone onto the iPhone 8, the Galaxy Note 8, and the Galaxy S8 Plus. Added the same transitions and effects, and then exported and saved the video. Our iPhone 8 finished this task in 42 seconds. The Note 8 took more than three minutes and the Galaxy S8 more than four. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, that's I did a, kind of yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the iPhone 7 was a beast, was an absolute beast. So I did um, 
So I did a video recording and yeah, the six was like a I think it was like, so a five minute video clip exported 720p was something like uh, two minutes on the six, one minute, 47 seconds on the six S and then something like 45 seconds on the seven. Yeah. And, was, that was... and this, this S, uh, this A11 is benchmarking with scores higher than a MacBook Pro. Now, they that don't do comparable is... jobs, so it's kind of a, a somewhat meaningless yeah, benchmark, it, but, it, it... <laughs> like, you know, it goes so in the face of expectations. Like, we have this notion that our phones are these dumb little devices and our computers are these amazing brains. Actually, our, our desktop computers are spectacularly inefficient to the point that they need more battery than anything else to make them go at all. And the iPhone has taken a really, really simplistic CPU and ramped it up to 11, literally, in this case. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah, it goes all the way to 11. Quite. It goes all the way to 11, and it, it's, it's screaming fast. But the thing is, if you were to do it on single-core to single-core performance, your desktop machine will beat the, you know, actually knock the socks off the little iPhone. But in terms of your real-world performance, in terms of the day-to-day tasks you do on those devices, that system on a chip is so highly tuned to what that device is for. The result is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it is. And the the pieces I've read uh, where people were talking about benchmarking, um, and I think that might be in, in extreme tech, they point out that although benchmarks are not everything, yeah. and the fact that the A11 can outstrip top-end i5 or i7, as they say, the difference there is that the A11 is not designed for sustained output. If you attempted to run a desktop off it, it, it would just overheat and burst into flame. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's not meant for that. But the other thing is, like, a system on a chip, we talk about it like it's a CPU, but that's actually really unfair. What it really is, is the entire PC shrunk onto a single chip. It, well, exactly. Hence the hence system the on a chip. Yeah. Chip. But it means exactly. that they've fine tuned everything they need. I mean, you know, why is it that for so long iOS had much smoother scrolling and all these kind of things? It's because the hardware to back up the software, the hardware and the software are made by the same company. And so when they design that chip, there's no, there's, there's hardly an atom out of place. There's hardly an unwanted atom. And Samsung and the like can't compete with that because no. they, they're not building the whole thing from soup to nuts. They're stuck with Google's code. It, it's, you know, That's Apple really have... I've ever heard every single atom matters. But it does, right? I mean, you... no, that's a... I'm um, just reading the quote here. Sheila said, it's not just Lego pieces stacked together. The team designed them to work together. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that. Yeah. I'm going to nick that and have that as a show title. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's... Because Samsung do get to choose their Lego bricks. So when they're building their phone, they get to pick and choose from a, a selection of available options. So they still get a lot of customization on their system on a chip but it there is no replacement in their case for the fact that apple can just do it all it's not lego bricks it is we we can build it all bespoke just the way we want it it's a tailored suit versus marks and spencers exactly it, it that is well that sums it up totally but i think you know it's it's savile row versus marks and spencers you're right um i mean and marks and sparks is not bad no but it's no, no savile row you know <laughs> that's why i didn't say like and, tesco's own brand you know it's samsung do make really high quality non-tailored suits 
but they yes. will remain non-tailored suits. Non-tailored, exactly. And the one of the things I was going to say, uh, as we were just talking about that, of course, is, as you said, we, we tend to think of these phones, intuitively, we've been taught to think of mobile chips as lower power, lower performance, uh, yeah. and, you know, less throughput, because they're jammed into a phone. But the truth is now, because, as far as I can see, because mobile is where it's all at, then that's where the performance, and of course, it's it's still new, relatively speaking. You know, Intel's x86 architecture is what, 30 years old? And it doesn't matter how much you keep iterating on. There's a, there's a plateau, isn't there? There's a point at which you cannot well, screw any more performance out. How nerdy do you want me to get? Go for it. <laughs> okay, no, because... It's something that has fallen. It used to be something that computer nerds knew a lot about because in the 80s and 90s, it was a battle. There were two philosophies to designing CPUs. Risk and CISC, reduced instruction set and complex instruction set. And Intel is the end goal of one of those forks in the road. And the A11 is the end goal of the other. So the reduced instruction set idea is you put way less complexity into the chip so that it uses less power but it may have to run it may have to run harder to keep up whereas the intel instruction set is supremely complicated so you have this mad complex silicon that can do a million and one things in a single cpu cycle but the thing horses down the power and battery power devices have always always done better on the risk architectures which is why they're in so many mobile devices and Intel's design was great as long as there was a plug on the other end. And then the laptop computer came along and ruined it because that yeah. assumption was suddenly gone. And that's why laptops have always needed these gigantic batteries because their CPUs were built on the assumption that electricity was not a constrained resource. And that's not yeah. true of the A11's pedigree. They were built on the assumption that power efficiency was paramount. And Intel have gone really as far as they can with their with their x86-based architecture to make it, to try retrofit efficiency. And Apple have gone an awful long way to retrofit performance. And the thing is, Apple have done well. They've managed to retain their efficiency and get performance. And Intel have not really managed to do as well. They have not managed to get those x86 chips to perform nearly as efficiently as Apple have made their x11s perform in terms of power. No. Your, your MacBook just cannot get as small as it would if it wasn't for the fact that Intel took a very, very different bet. Yeah, well, uh, the other the other thing is there's, there's been a lot of talk, of course, on on the results there of the power of the bionic chip. Uh, yet again, of is it time for ARM on the desktop slash laptop? And although well, I, I, I don't think Does the think iPad Pro answer that question and just leave it as, as, as sort of an obsolete? If you want an ARM-powered laptop computer, you have one. It's called the iPad Pro. Yeah, there is that. And the other, But the other point, which... I think it might not be important to all Mac users, but I think it's important to a lot of Mac users. Mm. And that is, if when you're running while you're running the x86 uh, architecture, then Windows compatibility is a doddle. Yep. It's an absolute doddle. You stick a VM in there, and you're away. You can, you know, you can use VirtualBox, or you can pay for Parallels, or any other number of uh, systems. You can use Wine. You can use the various uh, compatibility. Yeah, no, it, it's something we take for granted these days. It's that compatibility. And, I remember the, the, the bad old days of the G4 and the G5. Yeah. For a power user, I wouldn't want to go back. But the thing is, for your average person, I don't think it'd matter a bit. No, I'm sure for a lot of people, a lot of Mac users, the fact that you can run Windows is uh, no consequence whatsoever. 
Right, but I'm, I'm saying it even more generally, right? Not Don't think of it in terms of Mac users. Think of it in terms of Apple users. And the vast, oh, yes. vast majority of Apple users don't need a Mac, right? No, that is and true. And the iPad is going to start hoovering up more and more of those users. So I think the need for uh, a non-Intel Mac is probably shrinking because those people are going to be moving to ever more powerful iOS devices. That, that is true. And that also starts to uh, make more... You know, something like this A11 chip, to my mind, makes more viable, even though it's not probably not a path Apple would go down, but it would make more viable this kind of dock your phone and use it as a medium level desktop PC. See, I, I think the cloud has taken... I used to think the, the ideal would be that basically the brains of computer were in your pocket and you'd bring the brains with you. But I actually think that, that that world has been skipped over and the world we're going to is the, sort of the Star Trek-like I, world where every device just magically knows all of your stuff. There, there is that possibility, but there's also a kind of hybrid option, which is one I think at least in the midterm may be where we're going, where your phone or your computing device, call it what you will, is, is your key. It's your passport to that Star Trek-like omnipresent computing power. So the, I, yeah, I, I think we've skipped over the middle step. Yeah. I think we're well, that ship has already sailed. Um, again, in work, I live in the Microsoft ecosystem, and in my personal life, I live in the iCloud ecosystem. And really, my stuff just follows me around. Well, that, that uh, my is... desire for a device in my pocket has gone. And five years ago, I thought that was the pinnacle of computing, was this notion of having a small portable device I could dock into any screen. I thought that was the coolest idea ever, and I wanted to see it. And I don't care anymore. It's, to me, it's no. it's that it's gone. The ship sailed. Fair enough. So, do you have a, an iPad then, Bart? Pardon? Do you do you have an iPad? I I most certainly do. I have a twelve-inch iPad Pro that I absolutely adore. And obviously, you're running. Uh, we probably might be skipping ahead a bit here. So, how how much of a leap has it been now in terms of your daily usage going from iOS ten to iOS eleven, or just just purely on the iPad? It's too early to tell. I think I'm still finding my feet and realizing all this extra power that has just been landed in my lap. But it's, I forget that it can do all the cool new stuff it can do. So it's going to take me a couple of weeks to fully absorb my new superpowers. <laughs> and so, what what is your usage for the iPad? Because mine is still, and admittedly, it's only the iPad Air one. It's mm. still basically just for you know watching Netflix or twitching. What are you using yours for? My, okay, so I, I very much draw. By accident, I guess. So I have a 12-inch MacBook, which I adore. So the, the ultra-slim little USB 3 jubby. And that's my work computer. So that's bought for me by work. And so that is my professional self is in that device. And because I'm into programming and photo editing and all those kind of things, my sit-down and really get stuff done device is a 27-inch iMac. And then my everything else device is the iPad. So the, the iPad is simply with me everywhere in the house at pretty much all times. Sometimes it's my television, sometimes it's my email machine, sometimes it's my web browser, sometimes it's telling me how to cook my dinner. Sometimes, you know, Whatever I need to do that's not the iMac or the MacBook is the iPad Pro. And so it, it's... It, yeah, it, it changes to be whatever I need it to be. But basically, if it's not work-related, it's probably on the iPad. And if it is work-related, it's it's going to be on the MacBook. So you sort of have that um, that separation of work, life, and everything else in between. Yeah, which is great, because if I go to visit my parents for the weekend, the MacBook stays 
stays at home and the iPad comes with me and then I only have personal me with me and, you know, the emails can bing like mad on work me and I won't care. <laughs> Very good. Yes. And that's an excellent strategy for those who can uh, either afford it or in your case, you know, get work. Yeah. If you're, if you're lucky enough to have a, a job where the concept of work-life balance is respected by your employer, then I would strongly say that you should keep work email off your personal phone. Keep oh, work email yes. off your personal devices. I mean, not everyone has that luxury. So, some jobs simply require that you blend the two. But if you work for an employer who doesn't require that, don't volunteer it. No, exactly. I mean, no, no one ever said, oh, you know what, on their deathbed, you know what, I'm glad I didn't take all those holidays. And I'm glad I left <laughs> in work. Yeah, I'm really delighted I, I answered all of those emails while my family really wanted my attention. Yeah, it's like, oh, exactly. you know what, on the holiday and I've got my phone with me. Oh, yeah, so they can always get a hold of me. Yeah, well, um, I, I read a piece, I don't know, a couple of years ago, which talked about how the status of being always available shifted from at first when mobile devices, mobile phones and whatnot were a premium device. They cost a lot of money. Mm. Uh, so only very, very important people had mobile mobile phones or car phones so being always accessible yes. was a status symbol gradually it moved down the rungs and now exactly the opposite if you're the ceo you're never accessible if you're just some poor work drone <laughs> yeah you are the person who is constantly accessible yeah i mean the early BlackBerry really, really were like a Rolex watch in terms of if you could pull one of those out and thumb screw your thingy down the side that was a thing. You you had made it. You it went with the BMW five series and you know it, yeah, it was a complete status symbol. Yeah. And now it's so ubiquitous that not yeah, having to now you're the chump with two phones because you have a personal one and a work one and the work one you're stuck with and if it rings you have to sod off. And it's not yeah. a status symbol, it's a symbol of your enslavement. Exactly. <laughs> so, Similar, uh, yeah. yeah it, it, it is. I'm lucky. I'm like Bart. Obviously, I have a desk uh, and office-based job. So my my work is centred around my desktop Mac. And when I come home, I don't have to deal with any of that. It's I shut the door of the office behind me and I don't have to think about it or deal with it until I have to walk back in you know, the next day or on Monday morning and start again. Yeah. Uh, and that, that that's worth a lot you know that really is worth quite a lot yeah so uh and what i was going to mention when we were talking about the power of the chip and all those things that that go with it is i i think that in some way and call it a rationalization call it a, an excuse i think it does go some way to justifying the price of some of these devices because nobody seems to think it's unusual to pay a thousand pounds for that or you know or a thousand dollars for a premium laptop but they're whining about paying a thousand dollars for you know a premium phone which is at least as powerful and contains at least as much high technology if not more this notion that somehow size is related to value is such a hangover from the physical world it's always been dumb uh, yeah. I think the, the the worst expression of its dumbitude, if you'll excuse the word, is that an app is somehow magically worth less if it's on a small screen, as if somehow the developers had less work to do, which always struck me as bat poop crazy. I think there's another... Uh problem that's become entrenched and that is that when mobile phones were in that transition from ultra premium very expensive only top executives were allowed to have one into consumer devices 
the carriers subsidized phones extremely and i'm not talking about smartphones here i'm talking oh about yeah just, just the original you know dumb phone and yeah, i mean ireland at one yeah. stage had more phones per head of population than anywhere else in the world because our carriers tripled down on that notion you could walk in with 50 quid and come out with a mobile phone precisely and we had the same thing here and it became very much certainly in the pay-as-you-go versus we need to get people onto contracts era Mm -hmm. that the carriers and people like carphone warehouse and all the others would have boards outside saying you know walk in sign here for 15 20 pound a month and walk out with the latest hot phone be that the razor or the whatever it was and so and contracts were often renewed every year so people got to thinking of these phones as basically worthless and disposable despite the fact that if you went one in even in those days to buy one sim free the price was eye-watering but People have become so accustomed to that that they just look at look on them as disposable technology. So we know in a situation where you've got the mid-tier phone, which is the iPhone 8, and now out of almost nowhere, we're going to have a thousand pound phone. Do we think that or is it pretty obvious that all of these other handset manufacturers are going to be clamoring to be able to release a device of that size, not the Galaxy S8 Plus or whatever it is, and try and hit that thousand pound price point or is this something that only apple can do because of a that's the price we expect to pay from apple stuff and b they're the only people that can really deliver the services support for it uh well the truth is mark if you look at the price of the galaxy uh, was it the s8 or the note i mean that was that was pushing what's that 970 dollars uh, i had looked today so, so i mean that wasn't far off, and now it's been made to look like, why would you pay $970 for one of those if for $1,000 you can have a phone that effectively is four times faster, allegedly? Unless, you know, obviously there are people who have no desire to have a, an iPhone at all, and that's perfectly up to them, and there are people who would equally never buy a Samsung phone. That sort of price is... I think flagship phones have been approaching that kind of price for a while. I mean, a top-end eight, uh, seven plus was 900 odd dollars so i don't know what you lot think about that i don't i I think there's two questions there will other people try to ratchet up their prices too yes will they succeed i'm not so sure no exactly because there's obviously going to be this thing now isn't it that the other places are using their own off-the-shelf bits so by apple going down this route of making their own silicon that gives it a a bit of a a level of exclusivity but is that just going to appeal to us nerds the fact that we know it's using apple's designed processors not yeah that's not why your average person is going to buy they're going to buy because it's a phone that works really really well when they when they pick up someone else's, it's amazing. And they're not going to know why yeah. it's amazing. They're not going to care why it's amazing. They're just the, the, the iPhone's quality speaks for itself. You demo the iPhone to someone, they, they don't care why it's magic. They just see the magic. No, it is yeah. magic. That is it, isn't it? It very much, I very much ascribe to the, uh, the old saying, any technology suitably advanced is to the to the observer magic and that is pretty much Our Arthur C. Apart from, wisdom there yeah yeah but i mean it really is very much approaching that because apart from a very small strata of people who really are at the top level of silicon design or uh, computer design m- most of what goes on inside that
that little slab is totally arcane and beyond the ken of mortals. It's a magic square, isn't it? You touch it and it works. Or even you think so for most people, that's just that's just magic. It's brilliant. It's a flat sheet of glass that just does amazing things. And that's wonderful that we've arrived at the stage where computers have gone from being these scary archaic things with white text that scrolls by at ninety mile an hour as they start up and you know intimidate everyone into these (laughs) you know magical devices that they work and no one even asks why it's just i pick it up i swoosh i I swipe and it just does its magic and it does what it's told yeah i mean the the fact image editing podcasting it's i mean even i know it sounds stupid but you know what with all these things like h265 and you get you're watching almost 4k video on a device in the palm of your hand it's just yeah i'm starting to say beyond belief isn't it If you could go back even 10 years and show, you know, all right, let's say at the launch of the iPhone 3GS, let's say, so seven, eight years ago, and show somebody an iPhone 8 and say, you see that thing you've got in your hand? This is what it's going to become. They'd laugh at you. They'd say, that's not possible. I could just imagine on September 12th, 2001, when I graduated with my degree in computer science, if future me were to have appeared next to the, you know, fresh graduate me, handed me an iPhone and said, this thing has hundreds of times more power than the most expensive server you've ever seen, I would have thought I had gone completely crazy. Yeah, I mean, that. it's insane. And that's 2001. That's not last century. That's this century. No, no, I didn't. I Foolishly, I didn't link it. Um, but I read a piece whilst I was researching the stuff about the A11. And there was... A, a piece where somebody had bothered to figure out how big and how expensive it would be to replicate that in kind of free silicon, you know, and it was it was ludicrous. Thing would be the size of an aircraft carrier, and it would cost. So imagine Charles Babbage with his big big brass crank something, <laughs> and it would take nineteen trillion dollars to build it. And yes, uh, it it was just. And you're thinking, well. Yeah, because I'm sure Bart, like me, you know, you grew up in an age where computers were very new. Um, yes. I mean, the first computer I had any any uh, contact with was a teleprinter terminal in the back room of the sixth form, which connected to the local college by um, an audio coupler. That's a real modem for people who are under a certain age, where you dial the number, get weird whistling sounds out of the handset, and then you jam it into a foam field box and shut the lid. And that was the audio coupler modem. And, uh... I, I don't know if I'm proud or ashamed, but I can still to this day tell you from the sound of the, the constellation noises when you do a modem dial, what speed you're connecting at. Because our <laughs> local exchange had a couple of uh, 38k connections and most of them were 28k. And if I dialed in and I heard the wrong chimes, I'd just hang up. And I'd start again <laughs> until I got one of the 38k ones. So you can't learn that these days. The kids are today, it's like stonewall drying, building a house. You know, that's this is where the real skill used to be. <laughs> and building your own from scratch. I, I used to have Trigger's broom for a computer. I would say I've had the same computer for 15 years. I've changed every part at least three times, but never all at once. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Shall we press on? Because uh, Bart is running out of time. So very, very quickly then, um, Mm -hmm. are you excited about wireless charging then, Bart? Excited might be too strong a word. I'm not... Some people seem to have decided to be angry about it, which I don't get at all. People seem to have fallen into the category of this is the second coming of our Lord or this is the worst thing ever. 
And I'm sitting there going, no, I think this would be quite handy, actually, but it's not earth shattering. So where it comes into play is in my kitchen, I have a Bluetooth speaker and right now a USB to, you know, Irish wall plug adapter that has a USB micro and a um, and a, a lightning cable connected to it at all times. And I walk in and I shove one up the bottom of my phone and the other up the bottom of my headphones. And it would be lovely to just be able to walk into my kitchen and feck the iPhone down on something and have it charge. And it would be nice I, in the evenings, instead of having to futz around with cables last thing in the evening and first thing every morning to just feck the phone down. But then, you, have, you know, so that, that's convenient, it's handy, and I will certainly, if I go for an iPhone 8, I will certainly buy some charge pads and leave them around the house. I imagine, given that Apple have gone with the Qi standard, we're going to start seeing chargers in restaurants and on airplanes and all these kind of places. And so the notion of just popping your phone down and have a trickle charge itself will become normal, and that's great. But then you have people going, yeah, but I like to use my phone while charging it. Fine. Nothing is going to stop you. You are losing absolutely nothing. And you are gaining the ability to trickle charge your phone in all sorts of places that I think are going to become ubiquitous. So to me, it just seems it's a win. It's nice. It's not as important as most other features in the phone, but it's nice. I'll take it. So what we're saying is that everyone was saying, well, it's charging. We need it. We need it. It's going to be brilliant. And I'm saying, oh, well, actually, it might not be as convenient as we all hoped it was going to be. Um, I'm with Bart. I think it's something that's very nice to have. Uh, I know a lot of Android manufacturers have pushed it for a long time, saying, oh, look, we've got this and Apple don't have it. That, I've always thought, is, well, it's a convenience feature. It's it's not earth-shattering. And there are times when it's not going to do the job. So there are times when I want to surf the web on my phone and it's on low battery. The only way you're going to do that sensibly is to have it plugged in. But at the same time, it would not be, a you know, it would be quite a nice boon, I guess, to be able to have, as you say, in the in the bar or in the restaurant or wherever, these pads. That, so whilst you're there, you can put your phone down and it's getting a bit of a charge. And the other thing that the other thing that did catch my eye is Apple's pad that charges all of your devices at once. Like I, I actually have a little magnetic organizer thingy. I can't remember the name of the company now, but basically it's a little triangle of magnets that is stuck on my desk, which has attached to it the three charge cables I need most nights. The one for my iPhone, the one for my iPad, and the one for my watch. It would be nice if that was just a pad I could just put all of my stuff on instead of all of this so much clutter i had to buy some magnets to declutter my own desk i mean i could do without that yeah yeah i i agree and uh because that leads rather nicely into the worth of chirp section which is all about wireless charging (laughs) this week as it happens i'll just give them a quick mention uh there's a company called mo which i believe are based in the west country and they've got a solar window charger which obviously is a simple pv uh in a suction cup that you can stick on your window and that has a lead coming out of it and you can uh, use it to charge your phone they reckon that it would take about 20 hours to charge your phone that way but that said if you happen to be in your office and have a nice window that gets light i guess that's a not a bad a thing and... in some places yeah i was gonna say in my north yeah. facing office i'm not sure how but, but uh, yes I lots of people I, do not it, have north facing offices and it, it just caught my attention as a you know 
a pleasant thing to have. Obviously, yeah. that's power from the sun for nothing. And if you don't want to stick one on your window with the cable trailing out of it, they do one called the Solar Sunflower Charger, which looks like a plant in a pot. And <laughs> the, the PV uh, panel is the centre of the sunflower and the lead comes out. And those are £27.50 uh, each in the UK. The link is in the Worth the Chirp section. Uh, IKEA have a whole selection of wireless charging dinghies uh, from Samsung and Apple phone cases for phones which don't have uh, G, uh, through a whole load of desk pads, uh, lamps with built-in charging uh, pads in the base or a shelf on them, and a whole load of other things. And particularly nice, they have one called the Rigad LED lamp with Qi charger, which is a sort of LED angle-poised desk lamp, uh, and that's £49. And then I dug up, because I'm cheapskate, I dug up cheapskate options, which is there's acrylic thin short circuit protection Qi wireless charging pad from Amazon, uh, three an iPhone key charging receiver suitable for hiding inside the case of non-iPhone 8s, which is £7.99. And I found on Amazon an iPhone 6, 6S and 7, uh, and the equivalent plus sizes, wireless Qi charging case with a separate magnetic attachable battery pack. Um, and that's selling for uh, basically 20 or £22 in the UK, or $29.99 in the US. So there you go. And those will all be linked. And... Uh, yeah, so I think <laughs> it's one of those things. Qi has been around for a long time. Now Apple have adopted it. It's going to go berserk. Hopefully, we all hope. And I think uh, that takes us up nicely because Bart's going to make a move. Right. Ah, yes. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's let Bart do his goodbyes then and uh, you and I will carry on afterwards, Mark. I was going to say, guys, thanks very much for having me on. It was a very, very fun discussion. Um, so really appreciate the, the opportunity to, to come on and uh, share some of my Sunday afternoon with you guys. It was genuinely fun. Sounds grand. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Yes, I'm sure we'll have you on again, Bart. And I I, I, I think, I, actually, Mark, myself and Simon may have done this entirely behind your back, but I think I've invited you to join to, to uh, join in on the Let's Talk Apple podcast as well at some stage. So hopefully excellent. you I'm can come around to my place now that I've been in yours. Well, excellent. And uh, I probably will be in the Emerald Isle in some point very shortly. So I will drop you a line off work. And uh, yeah, if you want to see oh, a bit of the good stuff, then we can uh, make that happen. That sounds like a plan. Yeah, because I'm quite close to Dublin, so you're probably going to be in the not-too-distant, uh, you know, area from where I am. Uh, I think we're about a bus ride out. Well, I, if, I can offer you even better. Is it, 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 I'm on the train line, so it's even less stressful and even quicker. That, that'll be grand, as they <laughs> say. That'll be grand. Uh, but <laughs> before you go, just give us a quick chill yourself away. How can people get a hold of you? What's your Twitter <laughs> podcast? And how are they going to find you if they want to get a hold of you? Okay, so the, the most related podcast I do to this one is called Let's Talk Apple. And it's a monthly show. So the idea is... Once a month, we, we step back. We, we, we take the sort of the, the 30,000 foot view of all things Apple and we reappraise where Apple is a month on from the last time. And I wasn't, you know, when I started the show 50 episodes ago, pretty much at this stage, I wasn't sure how well it would work. But actually, it's turned out to be great fun because trends don't happen on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. They tend to be a bit slower. So being having the luxury of looking at the big picture is kind of fun and I, I sort of figured that, you know, the likes of Ken Ray had the daily thing completely, totally and utterly sewn up. So 
I figured, you know, the gap of the market, let's take the really, really long view and have 12 shows a year. So that's Let's Talk Apple at let's-talk.ie. And then I also have a monthly photography show where we have a very strict rule, no gear talk. It is entirely about the art and craft of photography, and that's called Let's Talk Photography. And all of that is at let's-talk.ie. Now, no one can spell my surname, so there is no point in me saying that my Twitter is at BBooShots. Oh, so instead, what I'll say is you can find links to everything I do online at bartb.ie. Well, thanks a lot. Yes, and I have to say, I do recommend I do recommend Bart's Let's Talk Apple. It's a fabulous show, and I listen to it every month and enjoy it greatly. Well, thank you very much. Guys, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and listeners, have a great week, and I'll talk to you again soon. Brilliant. All right, Cheers, then. Bart. Cheers, Bart. Bye. Bye. Well, we're getting some cracking guests on. Uh, I really enjoyed that segment with Bart. It's always good to have like a, a casual sit down, and uh, hopefully, if I can get to the uh, to the Emerald Place, uh, who knows? I've always wanted to do like a live round the table discussion in a pub sort of thing, so we'll see if we can make that happen. Well, I need a cup of tea. I'm sure you do, Simon. So what better way to take a breather? We'll be back with more tech news and Apple stuff after Nemo's Hardware Store. So, John, over to you. The first item from Nemo's Hardware Store comes from a company called Solo, S-O-L-O, Solo, New York. They're a luggage company, and they also make tablet cases, backpacks, briefcases, messenger bags, sleeves, Totes, work bags, and duffels. We have a duffel here, a small duffel. It's really a weekender case. It's called the Montauk, M-O-N-T-A-U-K, Montauk duffel. On special now in the U.S. for $90. It comes in a beautiful black, brown, and bluish outside with tartan inserts. And there's a giant insert for your laptop computer, tons of space, for your weekend or overnight clothes, you could take this to the gym, to work, to school, on an outing, trip for two or three days. You've got room for bazillions of iPads, iPhones, books, food, shoes, lots of different things. There's sleeves on the inside, on the outside. There's even an area where you can slide the flap over your rolling luggage case if you're going on an airplane. It has straps with a good leather handle. My only problem with this is that the shoulder strap is a little skimpy, and even worse, the padded leatherette part that actually protects your shoulder is too short, too narrow, and too skimpy. So aside from the lack of padding and the lack of size on the shoulder strap pad, the rest of it is a real class act. You'll have this probably the rest of your life and then some. Beautifully made zippers, every conceivable style and shape and location of compartment on the tartan lookalike interior. It's not true tartan, it's a nylon material. But even though this is all synthetic, with the exception of the leather grab handle and a bit of accent holding on the straps and the end rings, it's very, very well constructed, durable, attractive. It does not let anybody know that you're carrying technology, even though you could have this thing loaded with all kinds of gear. So well done, Solo New York, solo.net on the Montauk Duffel. Regular price, $120, special price, $90. Exceptional value and quality. I'm going to use this on my next weekender, which happens to be 
next weekend. Speaking of leather, our friends at 12 South, that's T-W-E-L-V-E-S-O-U-T-H, 12south.com, have small packages that have three cable snap. That's C-A-B-L-E-S-N-A-P. Cable snap, beautiful organization for unruly cords and cables. They're true leather cable organizers. They come in three different sizes in one package, and you slip the tip of your cable through, then you wrap it up, and it has a traditional snap like this. It snaps shut, and it contains the cable. It looks attractive, good-looking, $20 for a set of three. They come in three different colors. Those colors are a burgundy red, a medium tan, and a black. We have received the burgundy red and the medium tan for our review. They're very attractive. And again, just like that Montauk duffel, you'll have these for years and years and years. And your cables will thank you. And your friends will thank you because your cables aren't dragging all over the place, getting on everybody's nerves. They travel well. They pack well. They look good. And it's a good use of snap and leather. So we'll be back next week with more goodies from Nemo's Hardware Store. John, thank you once again for Nemo's Hardware Store. Of course, you can find more of John's writing ramblings in review over at the MightyMyMac.com website. And of course, everything we've listed will be in the show notes. If you've got your podcast player thingy and you want to see what we've got uh, listed or what we've talked about, there will be a link. And that link is, of course, our fabled Amazon link, where if you go to Amazon and you buy something, and it can be absolutely anything, socks, pants, dishwasher tablets, Heineken, a book, sunglasses, cycling gear. It really, really doesn't matter. Hopefully you're going to buy one of the products that we've recommended. It doesn't matter because we get a very, very small amount of commission. There's no boxes to tick. There's no things added on the top. You don't have to sign up for anything. You literally just click the link, shop, and away you go. And that means you're helping the show directly, perhaps by doing something completely normal. And what with all this uh, wireless charging stuff going on, uh, there's a few in there that I'm looking at. There's a really nice case I like. Um, Because in work, one of the things I'm always up and down from my desk. So with one of these wireless chargers I'm going to get from Amazon, it means I can literally come into my desk, plonk it down, pick up my AirPods, listen, and I haven't got to worry about snagging a cable and all that sort of stuff. Uh, when I uh, when I have to get up and go. So, John, thanks again, and thank you to anyone and everyone who uses our Amazon link. And, of course, a huge, special, big thank you to our Patreon subscribers, who without you, well, I'd struggle to make the bills for the show every month. So it really, really is appreciated. Right then, uh, speaking of adverts, <laughs> let's go into blocking adverts. Um, an article in the Guardian says that Apple blocking ads that follow users around the web is sabotage, says the industry. Well, shock horror, the advertising industry is upset that the adverts are going to be blocked. Here's a shocker. Try making your ads less intrusive. Um, yeah. Well, fair place to the Guardian. They've got adverts. They've got the one at the top, which scrolls down a little bit, which isn't too bad. Um, and they're doing adverts right. You know they're there, but they're not in your face and in the way. And at the bottom, it says, unlike many others, we haven't put up a paywall. We want to keep our journalism as open as we can. Support us for £5 a month. That's a nice bit. That That's nice advertising. It's just when you go onto these websites where you've got auto-playing and you get that horrible, stalky feeling um, when you go around the web and things follow you, like looking for light bulbs, a wireless charger, then every website you go to has to 
things about wireless charging. And then you go onto Facebook and it's about wireless charging. It's getting a little bit too um, ridiculous. But um, hopefully, hopefully, Apple with their new old network advert blocking are going to make things better for us. Yeah, well, it's it's not strictly speaking ad blocking, is it? Uh, Apple have described it as intelligent tracking prevention. Um, and what it actually is designed to do is to stop websites from tracking where you go and, and then following you with the ads that pop up on every site you visit regardless. I mean, I have for quite a long time used on my Mac, I use Ghostery, which prevents tracking. Uh, and on my iOS devices, I use, of course, Dean's excellent Crystal, and then I use Adblock Pro as well on both the Mac and the thing. But Apple here are introducing an anti-tracking thing, and apparently this will also automatically block cookies from third-party sites. So that means if you visit a site um, and they wish to give you a cookie, you will get that cookie, unless you opt not to take it, of course. But any uh, cookies from adverts or cross-site scripting will not be allowed. It's very similar to the slightly older, in, in Safari, you used to have the, the option to only accept cookies from sites I visit. Yeah. Um, that's that's basically gone because Apple are now by default saying you only want cookies from sites that you visit. If you didn't visit there, why would you want a cookie? So uh, that's what that adds up to. And uh, six major advertising consortia have written an open letter expressing their deep concern over this is how this is going to upset them well as far as i can say tough that's my opinion tough i don't have a problem with advertising i don't have a problem with advertising because i work in industry where you know advertising is a part of of what we do to some extent but there's advertising and there's advertising isn't there um if you if you open a magazine you're quite happy to see you know whole page ads adverts along the bottom of the page or whatever uh but you neither want offensive or aggressive adverts uh, and nor most of all do you want those horrible uh, advertorial things which are actually adverts that look like they're oh uh, god you yes. know and yes exactly and those sort of things but in print that's about as egregious as it gets isn't it those sort of fake articles but by law they even have to have a header which says this is an advertisement so that you know that it's an advertisement but you can't but on the web of course advertisers have run riot you click on you click on some content and you get a huge advert that covers the content you know and the the close this box is the tiniest little x possible or even so, worse the is actually a gif so they've got like a little box and they've got an image of an x you think oh well you know i'm trying to click on the x but the x is actually a link to something else the actual system dialogue closing uh closing it is actually in the top right hand corner yes exactly all that is and this stuff where the same damn ad follows you around the web uh, it's it's unpleasant and so i'm afraid uh, in this case i'm i'm not crying at the least if advertisers want to advertise responsibly fine and uh, if apple want to stop those who insist on basically being douches tough not upset in the least just looking here there's an article linked on the website that uh, adblock plus crimes file over apple plan to stop ads 
and they thought, you know, it's going to be the end of ad blocking on Safari, and that was going to be the end of ad block plus. And as far as I know, ad block plus is still doing pretty damn good. Yep, yep. There is Apple are not telling other people that, that you know, like Dean, like Adbot Plus, that they're not welcome. They're simply uh, doing some some of their jobs for you. In in other words, they're effectively trying to help those who uh, are not either aware enough or skilled enough to realise that they can block some of this garbage uh, in the way Apple often do. They just try and make things simpler for their users. Yep. And uh, uh, I don't think there's a lot more to say about that, really, is there? No, uh, I will admit. The, I mean, I'm running Safari technical preview, which doesn't have an ad blocker on, and Safari normal, which does have an ad blocker. And you just, when you've lived a life of not having adverts on your system, when you hit a website that has an advert, it's like, is this page going to load? Is it going to ever end? Is it just going to, oh, uh, that reminds me, I must go and see if I've got a computer where I can get high Sierra on there. Um, so on the next story we've got here then, uh, the free software spyware cleaner called CC Soft CC Cleaner has been hacked. No, it's just C Cleaner. Just C oh, cleaner. C Cleaner. Oh, I always call it, don't know, a bit of a I know, you're not the only person. I've heard a couple of people accidentally call it CC Cleaner. It's just, I think it's a visual thing when you look at it. And of course, it's a bit like carbon copy cloner. But no, it's C Cleaner and it's from uh, Avast, or it belongs to Avast. Um, yeah, and it was compromised. Um quite unpleasant really luckily uh i think it was picked up very quickly and uh, avast and piriform who are the actual developer notified everybody and did what they could but um yeah still quite unpleasant because it was it was comp it wasn't malware in the normal sense this is a you know this is a reputable trustworthy piece of software we're not talking some scummy scammy piece of junk this is a, a good piece of software and uh it was compromised somewhere quite high up in the supply chain as far as I can understand it um, and if you follow the link to news18.com uh, I think they they point that out that somehow it because the, the thing was signed this is the problem it was in the app store and it it was signed with a perfectly mm-hmm. valid certificate but somehow it had been compromised which is you know, quite concerning obviously well, I mean, this isn't the first time that there's been a major app that's been hacked. Is it what was it? Uh, was it Handbrake? Was that the one that was hacked? Handbrake had a certain update, I think, compromised via one of the one of the download sites that they distribute it via. Yeah. And again, that as soon as it was discovered, Handbrake basically pulled it and replaced it with a, another another build. But again, I think as a result of that, there were certain places that Handbrake stopped allowing to serve their software. I'm not going to name any because I can't remember who it who it was, but I'm sure listeners can probably take a good guess at the possible source of uh, sites that are likely to have infected it. But yes, you know, it just it, it never ends, does it? It's endless fight to try and protect yourself. <sighs> It's yeah, and again, if if you haven't got it, go get Crystal. Stick that on your iOS device. It changes the way you breathe and use your device, and it just makes it a lot, lot better to use your. Well, uh, if that reminds me, I must go and see if there's an ad block of Android. There probably is. I'll um I will go and investigate that. Um, right. What else have we got? Well, let's have a look here. So Qualcomm. Oh, this is the interesting one. Loses two key rulings in his patent royalty fight with Apple. This big. Uh, this has been going on for a while, isn't it? Basically, Apple stopped paying Qualcomm because Qualcomm didn't hold up their end of the bargain, and now it's handbags at dawn. 
Uh, Qualcomm got two bits of bad news today in its squabble with Apple. First, it failed to first Apple's manufactured partners to make royalty payments prior to a determination of what total disputed royalties should be. And second, it lost an effort to stop Apple from pursuing antitrust cases against it in other countries. Yeah, this is turning into a bit of a big one. I thought this was just going to be, you know, this is a US thing, but yeah. the No, that's been rumbling on. The Qualcomm thing has been rumbling on. The, the, the root cause of the dispute, as I understand it, is that Qualcomm have been extracting royalties from Apple and quite possibly people like uh, Samsung and HTC and the like, uh, based on the total price of the phone, so that they're demanding a percentage of the sale price of the phone rather than a royalty based on a per unit, which, you know, they're providing modems or were providing modems, I believe, for the iPhones. And Apple are saying, it, you know, there's a lot more to an iPhone than the modem. So on, on what basis can they demand a percentage cut of the cost of the iPhone to the to the customer? We're happy to pay them a royalty of so much per modem in the, you know, I think that's how most people would expect it to work. And as a result, Apple withheld their payments. And Qualcomm, I guess, as quite understandably, were very upset and launched a, a patent royalty dispute. And it's been rumbling on for months and probably will rumble on for many months more. And it's the sort of thing that, uh, as Bart was saying, you know, we don't need another horrible zombie court case that's going to rumble on for years. So I'm not really going to take any sides on that. I think Qualcomm were probably, shall we say, screwing it for all it was worth. And I think Apple have said enough's enough, to be honest. Uh, who's in the right and who's in the wrong? Hmm, that's a matter of for the courts to decide, I guess. I wouldn't like to make a judgment on it because I'm not a lawyer and I'm most certainly not a corporate patent lawyer. No. Wish I was, no. I'd have plenty more money. A lot of money in that. Do we think that this is a uh, an attempt to maybe keep Apple, to keep using Qualcomm stuff before either A, Apple switches to Intel, or B, they go... Well, you know what? We're getting pretty nifty at making our own stuff. I don't know. I don't know whose modems are in the new iPhones. I know iFixit had a teardown, um, and I did glance at it, and I do remember there are two different modems that maybe you know one of two modems may be fitted in the device. One of which is an Intel modem, and I'm not sure who the other one was but I don't think it was Qualcomm so yeah I think quite likely Apple have said well if you're in dispute with us and we don't like the way you behave we're just going to get our modems from somebody else they yeah. may even be building their own modems for all I know so uh, right um, let's have a look here what is another story we've got um Oh, okay. Yeah, I I did see this one. In my life of running around and being internet international jet setting person I am, uh, British people are second only to China in how much they want the government to control the internet, according to this survey. Yeah, why do I get the feeling that the uh, the range and the target demographic of people who've taken this survey might be a little bit skewed? Well, first of all, I read the the original piece from Business Insider, and I'm. No- no expert, but I read the piece 
and my immediate reaction was that uh, they test in they sampled I think just over a thousand people in the UK and the question was worded uh, in such a way that it was almost in, impossible to answer it in a you know in the negative and the headline really cannot be extrapolated from the result because the headline is British people second only to China in how much they want the government to control the internet. Now, that's not true because, as The Guardian have pointed out, uh, polling experts have raised concerns about this survey. Um, The results of the survey have been widely cited. The survey has been presented in a way which specialists say are possibly malpractice and junk science and should never have appeared. Uh, The survey was not administered to a randomly selected group of college students uh, in what is known as a probability sample. It was given to an opt-in online panel of people. What the actual question here was, let me just have a look, see what question. The internet should never be regulated by any level of government anywhere. Uh, and you yeah. get somewhat disagree, strongly disagree. Therefore, they believe that, and therefore believe that some level of regulation is right. It, yeah, that's, yeah, that's just a, who, who, who paid for this? Oh, BBC World Service. Oh, that explains it. Uh. But the whole thing is that question, you have either, the the answer is either, oh, I completely agree that there should be no regulation at all. Or if you say, I believe that a certain level of regulation on the internet is desirable, i.e. hardcore pornography should be restricted or, you know, uh, sales of guns to underage people or... You know that it's not a complete free for all. Yeah, in other words, the, the the old thing called common sense. Because I don't, I don't think there are many people. There, I don't think there are many people who would say that there should be no regulation whatsoever. However, so saying that a lot of people in Britain agree that there should be some regulation of the internet by government is not the same as saying they want the government to control the internet. That's a completely different question. Yeah. So basically, this piece was put out and. Then touted everywhere uh, by all sorts of people saying all sorts of things and people who specialise in such things are saying this this survey is garbage it's it's absolute junk and that because it's an opt-in thing by people who claim to be college students and that the way the question is worded you can infer almost nothing from it whatsoever just like most surveys in general it's like when you see an advert on the TV which says something like uh, 86% of 75 people surveyed he's like yeah. holy moly you, you are oh, i love those of, ones yeah you couldn't you, are... e- you couldn't even stretch to a hundred people yeah, it's like you... you're really desperate here to try and uh, make those figures up yeah so there you go backtracking a little bit mark there's been a bit of a scare talking about security again hackers are remotely locking apple apple devices and demanding bitcoin payments again this is from the international business times i read this of course it's a scare piece there's a lot of stuff about Apple's iCloud has been hacked and watch out they can lock your Apple device and demand payment from you uh, of course read the piece more carefully and it comes down to most likely people who've used rubbishy passwords and lock the same login for their iCloud as they use elsewhere yes. uh, and uh, therefore people have broken in changed their iCloud password or used the find my device lock my device features and then said give us money so it's you know don't be an idiot yes and um, as we've all said we we love and use one password if you don't use one password use 
one password or still one. other services are available yeah but we all like one password well you know i, I don't use one password i'm afraid their their charges are a little bit rich for my taste it's yeah. a very good program don't get me wrong but i find it a little bit expensive other options are available but yes uh, yeah but it doesn't really matter uh, the point is don't use stupid weak passwords and don't reuse your login particularly for things that are really really important like your bank um, or your iCloud ID. Especially with that Equifax break as well, when a yes. Equifax got hacked. So, yeah, I've been going through and checking everything. And, yeah, I, I do use 1Password. Admittedly, it's a bit of a pain in the ass while I'm at work because somehow work have managed to block it. Uh, so it means going onto the phone, finding the password, then typing it in manually like some animal. Uh, but, no, <laughs> it's it, it's worth just going around all the popular sites and just going, oh, you know what? Uh, yep, go and change your password. And, uh, of course, the other one is, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, if you want to check, there is a site, of course, Have I Been Pooned? Is there not? Yes, which is a very, very good site. Uh, they actually have a mailing list as well. So if your password ever comes up um, and it's part of, a, uh, part of a leak, then they will email you to say, ah, right, there's been new news containing your, uh, containing your, um, uh, your email address. Uh, you might want to go and check it out. Yes. Yes. Right. And you know what? I think as it's a Sunday, I think that'll do. We've had quite a show. Again, thank you very much for Bart to coming on. Go and listen to his podcast. It is really good to hear. Um, it's, it's like one of the things I've always wanted to do is like go back and revisit stories like a month after they've come out and see where they've gone. It's a, it is a good listen. It's a good crack, as they would say in the island. Yep. Again, thank you to you, Simon, for stepping in again last week. And if people want to get a hold of you, where and how can they get a hold? of you good sir well the best way to get hold of me of course is on the twitter and i am at serenak and that's s-e-r-e-n-a-k uh and of course i'm in the slack room ah uh, yes uh and also yes you can get hold of if i we might as well just do a quick one here if you're out there in the world and you like this show and you don't want to donate that's fine you don't want to use amazon that's fine i completely understand why people don't want to use amazon because they are the corporate greedy overlords you could leave, you could help us in another way by leaving us a review on the itunes we've not had one in way too long so if you want to book that trend head on over to itunes and go leave us a review and we relay all reviews on the site preferably the five star ones will get preferential treatment <laughs> and i yeah i'd just like to say uh while we're at it to a big shout out to all the people in the slack room without half the stories that we cover uh, we'd never actually discover so we i'd like to say thank you to all the people in the slack room for your contributions and your your engagement with the show and of course anybody who's interested who'd like to join the slack contact me or mark for an invitation yes more than welcome the more the merrier and it's uh there is also quite a lot there's also quite a lot of chatter we've got different rooms for just complete randomness friday night shenanigans uh, where we basically compare a uh, bit in fact nibs where have you been uh there's there's some good craft ales going on we need to in fact i will put some links into the uh, yeah, so come along and join us there. And of course, you can follow the website on Essential Apple on the Twitter and on the Facebook and on the Google Plus. Uh, if you want to, if you want to see what I'm getting up to in the world, I am at Ocean Speed on that there Twitter. And I think that'll do us. 
Uh, and so hopefully I, I, I might be around next weekend. I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting, my God, if you listened to the show at the start of the year when it was a completely different animal compared to now. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, things have <laughs> changed a little bit. So until next time, we will see you all soon. And thank you very much for listening to us and letting us take up space on your device. Indeed. Thank you and goodbye. And before we go, I will, of course, say that this podcast is part of the MyMac Podcasting Network, where you can find all the other great shows, such as Bart Bouchot's Let's Talk podcast, Guy and Gaz's MyMac, Tim and David's Tech Fan, The Three Geeky Ladies, The Geekiest Show Ever, The Club Nintendo, and probably some more. So go check it out. Hey, Gaz, do you like apples? Yes, I love coxes because they're hard and juicy. Huh? Do you mean what I think you mean? Yeah, coxes pipping apples. They come from Somerset, Guy. Everyone knows that. But we're talking about the MyMac.com podcast. It's been around since 2004. Oh, I see. That type of apple. Exactly. You can find it in iTunes. Talk to us from Twitter or Facebook. Or call us on our Skype number, which is... 703-436-9501. There, said it before you could. This has been the Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.